Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast for product people. I'm Mark Stiving, a pragmatic marketing instructor and pricing expert. And today we are joined by a very fascinating guest and we're gonna do an experiment. Uh, today's guest is Ismail Madney. And I've talked to Ismail now for, oh, 20 seconds before I hit the record button. And, and you guys are gonna get to hear the beginning of the conversation. So often when I meet a new pricing person and we have one of these early dialogues before I hit record on the podcast, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I wish I'd have recorded that. Well, today we did. And I'd love to hear from you. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Let us know. But let's get started. Welcome, Ismael. Thank you for having me, uh, Mark. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited to be on. It's uh, humbling to uh, be speaking with you. Oh, thanks. This is going to be fun. I put out a call on LinkedIn and asked if anybody wanted to talk with me on the podcast. And you were one of the people that replied. And I absolutely love that. Thank you so much. Of course. No, thank you for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm very excited. have um, read your work and uh, this is uh, great for me. I uh, really appreciate the time today. No worries. So as I look through your LinkedIn profile, I see that you've done a lot in pricing. You've been at a bunch of different companies. How did you get into pricing? That's a great question there. I don't think you ever set out uh, out of college to say, hey, I'm going to be in pricing. I was working for a government contractor in the D.C. area, and one of the courses we had to take for training was the pricing course with the pricing team. And I remember sitting there that day thinking, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing. I want to be on this team. I spoke with the director. And about a year later, he had a job ready for me, and I fell into it, and it's just become my career. I um, did government contracting for the first few years of my career, then started to get into the commercial and cloud and SaaS world, and now I'm uh, all about the SaaS world and uh, really love to geek out on uh, pricing uh, cool products. Well, there's so much fun about pricing and SaaS. We'll talk about that in just a second, but what... It do you know what you like about pricing? What I love about pricing is you are involved in everything, <laughs> uh, especially uh, in a SaaS company. You're involved working with product, you're working with sales, you're working with customer care, uh, and you're bringing quite a few people together. Uh, an old CFO joked with me that it's like being the belly button. So I really love kind of being in the center of all the action. And that's what pricing does. You, you have connections across an entire organization and all functions. It's a lot of fun in that regard. Yeah, it is so fascinating. It isn't just SaaS companies, by the way. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, pricing is that thing that's going to capture all the different value that we create as a company. And, and you and pricing get to see all the places where we didn't deliver enough value. And that's it's all the places in the company we get to go work with. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's just really cool how much, uh, like you said, the place where we don't deliver value and how much you learn just about uh, businesses in general. I know in the government contracting world, I was able to learn about the bid process and putting together multi-million and multi-billion dollar proposals and then working with the program managers to see if we're, one, delivering value and two, meeting our forecasts and margins. And then in the SaaS world, it's just so cool in terms of understanding customer needs and pain points and what are their key value drivers and what gets them 
to pay for a product? What, how do you get a free customer to move up your value chain and create that flywheel effect? So it's been just uh, really exciting um, how much I've been able to learn about different areas of business and different areas of interacting with customers. I'm completely with you. Some other things I love about pricing, just to see if it, if it matches with you, um, I love the fact that it's, although it's numeric, it really isn't, right? You have to put a number on it eventually, but there's so much touchy-feely stuff that goes on behind it that you have to try to figure out. Totally agree. Totally agree that, you know, you're not just, like you said, crunching numbers like a financial analyst where, you know, the number is the number, but you really have to understand people. Uh, fundamentally, your internal stakeholders when you're trying to get a pricing strategy through, and especially your customers, uh, what drives them, what motivates them, and really have uh, deep customer empathy. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's beyond just, you know, doing a conjoint analysis and seeing what the numbers are, but you really have to talk to and understand those customers. Yeah. In the SaaS world, I, I feel like you guys have this amazing advantage where you get to do A-B testing all the time and tweak things to see what works and doesn't work. Uh, do you find that's true or not? I do find it to be a big advantage, um, just being able to quickly adjust and not really worry about things like, oh my gosh, our, our costs of, you know, our labor costs are gonna be X amount of dollars or whatever. If we see something in the market, we can quickly pivot and adjust, and like you said, A-B test, um, test different buy flows, how people buy, you know, cool things like, is should we have a 14-day trial or a 21-day trial? Um, you know, just, just little tweaks like that, or big changes from, hey, we've never had a free offering, let's see what happens when we put a free offering up there. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's really fun in that regard. Way too many things to push on. Which, what's the answer, 14 or 21 days? Um, depends on the product there. Okay. There's, there's no, yeah, <laughs> there's no, there's no real answer. Some products you, the, the usefulness of it might only be for seven days. Let's say you're doing a webinar, one webinar and you need a free trial of it and it's done in seven days. Well, you'll never get to monetize that. So, you know, it, it really depends on the product. Okay. That makes sense. And so some products where there's going to be a lifetime value once i'm using it so it's salesforce.com for, for instance mm -hmm. i'm in i'm going to use this forever and ever and ever a 21-day trial works really well because i've i've actually hooked you i've got you into it exactly and let go exactly yeah a salesforce a, a hubspot like you said one of those that'll be in your daily workflow and those are really fun products to work on as well just in general because you're going to hook someone and get some network effects but it's those SaaS products where, hey, you might only need to use it like four or five times a year where it becomes real tricky and real challenge. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about free. Uh, what, what experiences or thoughts or lessons have you learned on freemium type products? That's a great question. And I think where I'm at now, AuthZero does a very good job with uh, the free offering uh, that we have. So some of the things that I've realized is your free offering needs to provide the experience and value that a paid customer has. So it can't be a subpar offering because no one will ever like the product, no one will ever bother 
to convert or go up um, the upgrade path. And if you get that right, you'll be able to keep customers. Uh, they, they may or may not convert, but it's a great experience. And there's a possibility down the line of getting them to convert. So that's really number one is understanding, are we giving them a great experience? Yeah, Ismail, let me, let me interrupt for just a second. Can you tell us what Auth0 does? Sure. Auth0 is essentially authentication out of the box for uh, your applications. Um, essentially, we take care of the piece for developers that um, they don't necessarily like to do, just putting, uh, getting the authentication right and securing applications. So it can be, you know, a, a little project you're working on. Uh, externally, so you, know, you, you come up with a cool idea and a cool app, and you're like, oh man, I don't want to do the authentication. We're just an API that connects to your app. And there's enterprise applications as well. Um, you know, we've secured, we've got I believe around uh, 3,000 paying customers and quite a few big names uh, who are enterprise customers who secure their apps with our product. Okay, excellent. I asked the question because oftentimes when I talk about freemium to people, I, I say exactly what you just said a minute ago, and that is you have to offer real value. Yes. Otherwise, people won't use it. Um, but, but what we really want to do is we do it a lot when we have what we'll call network effects. Exactly. And network effects essentially say if one person buys a product, it ends up becoming more valuable the more other people use it. So as we build this big network of users, we've now created a bunch of value for our company. Does that exist in your type product? It's a challenge with our product. So we may not have the best network effect. Where it really helps us is a developer is inspired to build an app. You know, he works for Apple, for example, just uh, using a big example. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to create my own app. He's in his garage working on it for four months. He uses the free version of, he or she uses the free version of Auth0. Like, this is great. But, you know, the app idea is not that great. And only three or four people sign up for his app goes back to work um, and is working on a project team. They're like, hey, we're building this big app for our next prod uh, product launch. And this particular developer is like, hey, I know of a great product that can help us with the authentication piece. And it you know, says we should check out Auth0 for our, our new offering here. And therefore, we get that enterprise level lead. So just because we offer that great experience to the developer for free, he can then go into his place of work and say, hey, we should be using this as well. It's almost like giving Apple computers to kids in elementary school. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's exactly it. And other companies who do that, I, I think Adobe does a great job with what they do with their products to university students. You come out of school you know, using uh, Adobe. Um, you know, yeah, you give that away to the user, the end user, and then eventually they get their future company to buy it. Hello, Pragmatic Live listeners. Did you know that we have helped more than 8,000 companies worldwide with our proven methodology and framework? To put the Pragmatic Marketing Framework to work for your organization, visit pragmaticmarketing.com slash buy. Now back to Mark and this week's episode of Pragmatic Live. Any other lessons on uh, freemium? I find this a fascinating topic and, and I think so many people do it poorly and they, they lose a lot of money because they don't understand what they're trying to do. 
Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is a tough nut to crack in terms of getting someone to actually convert. So you absolutely need to have that experience right. And if you have the network effect, that's bold. I think Slack is a great example of a terrific free offering with an incredible network effect. And they know the appropriate limits to have, where you get ex excellent value if you're just a group of um, you know, colleagues working on a small project, but if you want to go company-wide, then it really forces you, uh, you to pay for it. And uh, that's where the monetization impact has. So I love what Slack has done. I absolutely love the Dropbox model. I mean, it was free for years and years. And then they began the network effect with wanting to share uh, different documents. And uh, that's worked well. So the triggers that you have is I think the next key, you know, wh what is the limit that we're going to keep this product at? Like, yes, it's free for a terabyte of storage, but is that too much? Is that too little? So that goes back to, again, really understanding your customer. So you have to have real value for the base level customer, but at the same time, you need those super users or the people who are getting more value to want to pay you money for it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when it works well, it's gold. I absolutely love what Slack has done. It provides so much value to the free user, and then they are hooked and they are willing to pay once it's a big part of their day-to-day -day workflow. Yes. Uh, okay, am I going to ask a question? You're allowed to say, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> can you tell us what percent conversion rate you get off your free customers? I can say that it is a significant portion of our revenue, that flywheel effect I just talked about, that um, you know, it's in the double-digit percentage of revenue comes from uh, the scenario I said, a free user going to their company and convincing them to uh, purchase our product. Yeah, so people who started with free and then decided to upgrade is a really good revenue driver for you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, what I was looking for, and by the way, don't feel like you have to answer it, but so often what companies do is they say, well, I'm going to do this freemium model and I'm going to get a 10% conversion rate. And, and I got to say, that seems really high to me. Most mm -hmm. companies are in the two to 5% range. And so I always ask, you're, you're welcome to say, no, it's not my, uh, not my place to say. Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. It makes sense. I'll say this. I don't think we convert that many of our users into paid users, but the revenue we uh, derive from it is um, significant. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Right. Because what that says is that you guys are willing to be really happy and smile and helpful to all of these free users because eventually some of those become paid users. You just exactly. don't once. Exactly. That's, a, that's exactly right. And again, it comes down to the experience the free user has. And um, when Slack, I, I personally can barely tell the difference between a free version of Slack and when I'm using my corporate version of Slack. Um, you know, it's, it's a so minimal. And yet you, you see what Slack is doing and how they are accelerating acquisition of paid users. I think it's uh, it's brilliant to see. And again, I love the, the model Dropbox ad. I feel like they were one of the first pioneers to successfully get this effect. 
Yeah, the thing that I um, the thing that I love about Dropbox is it's the one I'll give Box and Dropbox in the same category. Yeah, but they're the one companies that have real hard costs to serving their customers. Sure. Now their costs are going down and down over time, obviously, but boy, they actually had a cost where you you know you you don't have an, a you don't have a real hard cost for another customer. Correct. Exactly. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the advantages in SaaS. And there's other products out there uh, in a, a similar role where it's not really that hard cost. I think Evernote, I, I can't imagine what their hard cost would be. You know, you're, you're taking notes. And again, it's a great free experience. And now you see that they're getting that effect of, um, you know, Teams users buying it and enterprise users and really making it a daily part of people's workflow. Yeah, I think their costs are really low too in terms of uh, what does it take to get a new customer or free co to, to maintain a free customer is exactly. got to be super low for them. Exactly. And that's true for almost all uh, digital companies, content companies. Um, and, and that's why we see freemium in the digital world, but we rarely see it in hardware products. No, it, exactly. You, I could not imagine Apple giving out free iPhones uh, as an example, just because there is a cost of making an iPhone. There's a finite amount of iPhones that are out there. Whereas, like you said, these digital SaaS products, you can give them away every day, all day for as long as you want. Yeah, what's going through my head, I've never thought of this in terms of freemium and maybe it doesn't make sense, but have you ever flown Ryan Air? I have, yes. I have not, but I've heard nightmare stories. <laughs> <laughs> European flights are inner inner Europe flights are always interesting. I've been lucky with my flying in Europe uh, on some of these low cost airlines. But I can almost see that as a freemium where we're going to give you this super low entry price, not quite free, but super low entry price. But we're going to charge you for everything. That's kind of like Spirit Air as well. They do that domestically, and again, you hear nightmares about it and I'm, I'm really wondering if just the airport experience is so bad that you in general just anywhere in the world that anytime you are nickel and dimed at the airport it just adds to a level of frustration but again we, we see people in Spirit Air domestically here in Ryanair in Europe people are buying their tickets and jumping on their flights and they grumble about it later on but it, you know they're still in business and they're still doing pretty well. Yeah, so now that I brought that up, I, I'm not sure it makes sense in the conversation around freemium in the sense that once I buy my airplane ticket, I am now sitting on that Spirit airplane. And now I might just pay for upgrades, but it's not the same as, oh, this free product really adds value to me. Mm -hmm. And I happen to be one of those users that gets more value, so I'm going to pay more for it. So it may not fit that well, but it kind of does. Yeah, and I think what those airlines that you talk about do, what they, they really just try and get people on their flights. They get, you know, essentially butts in the seats. And then at that point, you know, you get hungry on a flight. I'm, I'm someone who is very hungry on flights. And my willingness to pay for food uh, increases as the flight continues along. Um, and then you start to monetize that way. Um, I personally don't, I've become... Uh, you know, I, I like to fly comfortably. So Spirit Air, or Ryan Airlines, uh, you know, wh whichever ones, you know, these low cost, unless it's a super short flight, I try and avoid. But I know on Delta, I'm willing to pay for the food. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely with you. Can we stop? We have a couple more minutes. Sure. I want to go back to your government experience writing RFPs. Yes. And this always is one of those things where there are tricks that people can use and know. Do you have any that you can share with us? Sure. So it's a, Working in the government contracting space, it's very interesting. There's a whole field around it called price to win. And, you know, these are long turnarounds. The government issues an RFP. You have 30 to 45 days to put it together. And the question I would always be asked by leaders in any of the companies I was asked was, is this the price to win? And does our strategy uh, give us a price to win? Um, essentially, the best strategy I ever found was this concept of what we call greening. So if it's a five-year contract, in year one, you put the senior folks who know what you're doing, you're willing to take the hit to your own internal margins in year one, and as you go across the next four years, you add more and more junior folks who cost less money and your margins go up. Therefore, you can present a price to the government that is competitive and looks good, but on the back end, you as a company will make your margins. Hmm, fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite interesting because, you again, you have real hard costs there, but you also have real requirements to fill. So, you know, a labor category of project manager might say 10 years experience, uh, this type of education. So finding people to fill those roles uh, is what matters uh, down the line. Mm -hmm. And as you go across a contract, you really, you know, in order to make the internal financial numbers that you've committed yourself to, you really have to find the right people at a lower cost point. Right, right. Hmm. Have I've heard of companies when they do RFPs offering good, better, best proposals. Have you, have you ever tried that? I was in the time period. It's really interesting. In the, the federal market, I was in the time period where when I got into it, there was a lot of money flowing in. And then we had the beginning of the um, Obama era with the stimulus. And then we were in a period of sequestration in 2011 and 2012. I was in, the, we never really got into good, better, best as much. We really tried to get into the, what is the contracting officer looking for? It started with best value. By the time I left that industry, it was lowest price technically acceptable. So essentially, if they asked for a car and you gave them a cardboard box with wheels on it and said, this is a car, well, that could be technically acceptable and it's the lowest price. Um, so good, better, best just wasn't a great option when I was in the industry. Yeah. And, and the other thing I often hear or think about with RFPs is the buyer almost never really knows what they want. Oh, they write the RFP out, but we always end up with change orders and, and all the time. And, and so that says to me, there are strategies that we should use to take advantage of that as well. There are. And this is where it became a real relationship business. You need to know the contracting officer as well as who on the government side is asking for whatever the contract is out for. If it's um, you know a lieutenant general who needs um, guards, for example, I did this proposal uh, for armed guards in Kosovo. It was a real interesting bid, 
um, what are they really looking for? Like someone trained who can be an armed guard and handle and uh, you know uh, the appropriate weapon. Uh, and again, understanding your customer. That's where you can get these strategies right and influence the RFP before it comes out. Yes, yes. Ismael, this has been an absolute joy. I've enjoyed this a lot. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate it. I know it was a, a short time, but I, you know, the pleasure was all mine. I said, uh, read uh, quite a bit of what you write, um, follow you on Twitter, and, uh, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn. Uh, use uh, your material when it, it makes sense. So thank you for having me on. This has uh, been fantastic today. Oh, it's my pleasure. If anyone wants to contact you, how can they do that? I would say the best way is to email me. So my first initial I, and then my last name, Madini. So M as in Mary, A as in Alpha, D as in Delta, N as in Niner, I as in India at gmail.com. Perfect. To our listeners, I hope you guys enjoyed that half as much as I did. Uh, but, but what did you think? Please let me know. I'd love to know if you, you enjoyed the fact that I did not know Esmael before we started this. And that was just a conversation that you eavesdropped on. Um, if you have any other questions that you have, please feel free to send them to us at experts at pragmaticmarketing.com. And most importantly, don't forget to join us for the next episode of Pragmatic Live.